You know, a few years back, uh, every once in a while, I, I do go and, and have a physical uh, examination done by my doctor. And, uh, and, and so a couple of years back, I, I had a blood test done. And, you know, the doctor, kind of the, the normal thing, he said, well, get a blood test done. And if you don't hear back from us, everything is great. And, you know, we'll see you again next year. Have a good one. You know, and, and so that's kind of the way my physical uh, exams usually go. Except this time, a couple of days later, I got a call back from uh, the, ho- not the, hospital, the office of the doctor. And, and they said, uh, can you come in? Uh, the doctor would like to speak to you about your blood test. And I, was, I don't know if you ever had that one, but it's just like something goes like, <laughs> okay, some of you have had that. Okay. You know, and, and, and so I... I, I made an appointment, I went in, and, 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 you know, it's really encouraging when the doctor says to you, I don't want to make too much of this. <laughs> and then, because there's something to come. And, and he said, something looks a little bit out of place in your blood tests. And, and then he said the, the word I don't like a lot. He said, you know, there is a possibility you have cancer. I've never been told that before. And he said, we're going to do a couple more tests. We'll know the results in a week. And so we did the tests. And so for a week, I was here. You know, I was kind of between faith and fear. You know, and if those of you that know me, and I've said it from up here, I do struggle at times with anxiety and fear. And so here I am struggling between you know, faith and fear. And then, and then peace, you know, I'm praying about it and I get peace. But then fear comes back again. And, 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 then, and then I get to a place of resolve, knowing, oh, you, know, you know, Adeline, we have, have enough to live on, and I'm, I'm going all... I do these scenario things. I mess with my head in, in ways I really just I don't need to, but I do it. And so I got myself really worked up. I'm dying, you know. <laughs> now, it was only a week. And at the end of the week, I went back in. I met with a doctor. He said, no, I says, actually, the test showed something else. You have a little bit of a condition, but you're fine. <laughs> but, you know, uh, when things like that happen to us, you know, my tests came back false, came back negative. But sometimes, for some of you, the tests have come back positive. And if we live long enough, we will all come up against the unsolvable, and we will all come up against the impossible. For some of us, these might be moments in time, you know, a week for me, you know, in some it might be, you know, some, a, more, a longer time. Uh, for some, you might have been living with, you know, chronic situations, with, with things that aren't getting better. You might be living right now with the unsolvable and with the impossible facing you in your life. You know, a marriage with an unfaithful partner, well, that can lead to desperation. Uh, a child at risk of, uh, that's using dangerous drugs and worrying about, you know, well, I'll get a call someday or a visit from the police. Facing eviction because you no longer can keep up with your rent or your house payments. Or people that you thought were your friends who betrayed your trust or humiliating you a diagnosis of cancer or something else, knowing that you only have a short time to live. In my 11 years of being part of this church family, this has been part of 
some of your lives and we've walked through those kinds of things and you've walked through those kinds of things. In our text this morning, uh, our study from Mark is in chapter 5, verse 21 to 43, and, and our story today talks about and takes us into two stories of the impossible and the unsolvable. And I'm just going to read through the, the entire text, and then I'm going to kind of walk through it kind of a bit like a drama with a couple of different scenes. And it says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her so that she will be healed and lived. And so Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crown and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you asked who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, came and shared, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the father's child and mother and the disciples who were with him. And he went in where the child was, and he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to tell anyone, or sorry, not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. So last year, last week, Brad was uh, teaching on the story of the healing or the freeing of a demon-possessed man on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And there Jesus, uh, and Brad said, you know, Jesus pushes back evil with his power and he invites people, he invites people with his love. He pushes back 
evil with his power and he invites people with his love. And going back one week earlier with the story of the calming of the sea, Mark's uh, story of, the, uh, of that experience, it demonstrates Jesus' power. He said on one hand, he's, he's got power over all of nature. And in, his, and in last week, he has power over the demonic realms. And today, Mark tells us uh, that there is an intersection of our faith and Jesus' response in the face of the impossible. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. And our, like I said, our story has a couple of scenes as it moves along. And so setting the scene, Jesus has just crossed back into Galilee and he is immediately just... He is surrounded like by a massive mob of people who wanted to gain something from him. And at this stage in Jesus' ministry, he was still like a, he was like a, an, a current rock star. You know, everybody wanted to see him. Everybody wanted something from him. Everybody was crowding around him. And they followed him everywhere. And so we get to scene one, and it's Jairus' desperate plea. In verses 21 to 24. Now, now, Jairus was a synagogue leader, as we read here. So he was not a Pharisee. He was not a religious leader. But he was kind of like the manager of the, of the synagogue. And so he was a person with influence. He was a person with status, with expertise. But unlike the other religious leaders that Jesus so often uh, came into conflict with, uh, Jairus was a man who still believed in Jesus, who was still listening to what Jesus was saying rather than shutting him out and, 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 and like the other religious leaders, uh, basically just cutting him off and, and recognizing that he's a threat to our system and so we've got to deal with him. Now, Jairus was actually a believing man. And... and uh, he was in a hopeless crisis, but he believed. He had faith that Jesus could do something. And so he came, and, and we see, his, we see his, his dire circumstances because he came and he bowed down at Jesus' feet, begging and pleading, and he said, Jesus, if you will just come and lay your hands upon my little girl, she will live. Wow, isn't that, isn't that great? Isn't that faith? Like, if you will just come, and if you'll just come and touch her, I know. I know you've got the capacity. I know you've got the power to do that. I know that she will live. You know, likely Jairus had either seen Jesus uh, doing that or heard about Jesus doing those kind of miracles. Possibly he had even been there when Jesus touched the leper, the unclean leper, and healed him and saved him. And he was thinking about the same for himself. And so we read that Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed along. And then the scene changes. And there's an interruption on the way to Jairus' house. And I want to just kind of interject here between these two scenes that most of Jesus' healings and his miracles and his parables and a lot of his teaching happened while he was going or while he was on his way to do something else. And much of what we read that happened uh, as a result of G in, in Jesus' teaching 
happened in the interruptions, in the interjections. I'm going to come back to this at the end, but this is a good place to say that when, when people came bringing their needs to Jesus, he stopped what he was doing, and he took time to listen, and he took time to step into their point of need with them and for them. And if you're listening today, this morning, thinking, I just can't go back looking for help one more time. I just can't go back looking for help one more time. Just think of this. Jesus always stops. Jesus will always listen. He gave us that invitation in Matthew 11. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And he didn't say, oh, but only once. (laughs) No, he just made an open invitation and said, come. Come. And Jesus invites us to keep on coming, to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on believing. And so in this scene, a woman with an unstoppable bleeding, and our text doesn't give a clear description of what it was, but it, it could have been her, her, her cycle that just never quit. It could have been hemorrhaging. It, whatever it was, she had been for 12 years suffering from bleeding in her body that just would not stop. And we would think of that today and think, well, that's awful. You know, well, that would really get in the way. But, but kind of looking back to, to the experience that she would have had as a woman in first century Palestine uh, as an Isra- Israelite, as a Jewish woman, that uh, this was something that was absolutely devastating. If you read in Leviticus chapter 15, you can read about all of the different ways and the different rules and laws that were in place for people who were experiencing things other than perfect health. And, and they had specific instructions if people were experiencing any kind of bleeding. And, and in her case, because it had been for so long, uh, she could not marry She could not participate in the worship and life of Israel. No one was allowed to touch her or even to touch her clothes because both she and her clothing were all unclean. The social and the religious misery because she was really actually banished from all of the uh, social and religious activities, and not only was it physical, social, and religious misery, but it says that financially she had spent everything that she had, and actually the doctors and their treatments had actually only made it worse. And I was reading a couple of authors and some of the insane things that they would do because they did not have the technical medical expertise that we have today. You know, things like uh, making up a mixture of locusts' wings and rubbing that on your body. Another one I read was to walk around carrying an ostrich egg. Okay, like, how is that going to, you know, stop bleeding? But, you know, and, and so she had been subjected to all kinds of humiliation and, and, and she was in deep distress. But she had seen or heard somewhere that Jesus was completely different than any of the religious leaders, any of the healers, any other attempts to find healing. And, and so she said to herself, if I can just touch his clothes, you know, probably thinking this is my last resort. Jesus is my last resort. 
He doesn't even have to take time for me. I'll, I'll just touch his clothes because others have told me that that happened to them. And so she did that. You know, we've got to understand this was incredible risk. This was incredible courage because even just walking through the crowd, she was making unclean every single person that she touched and they would be horrified and angered if they found out that she had done that to get to Jesus. And so she touched Jesus and instantly she knew that she was healed. She could actually feel it in her body. She knew that healing had come that moment. Now everything in this verse that I was talking about of her touching it, it points to this physical healing. But her presenting problem, it's taken care of. The bleeding has stopped. But her loneliness her social rejection, the inner healing resulting from 12 years of shame and humiliation, those things have still not gone addressed. And Jesus, it says, Jesus knew instantly that power had gone out from him, and he asked, who touched my clothes? He knew that his power had done something, and he knew that his power had done something significant, and so he stopped to investigate Jesus didn't have time to stop. You remember, he's on his way to Jairus' house to touch and to pray for and to, to heal Jairus' daughter. And this is an emergency. And, and he stopped. And he said, who touched my clothes? And Jesus' disciples admonished him. They say, like, really, Jesus? Like, do you see the people around you? Like, everyone is touching you. You know, if you read through Mark, uh, the disciples don't come off looking all that great a lot of times. You know, they remind me of myself a lot of times too. And I think probably that's one of the reasons why Mark wrote his gospel in the way that it did. It just made them real people. And so they admonished him, and it, but it says, but Jesus waited. He had called out, who touched me? And then he waited and the woman who was actually terrified even just to be in public in the crowd likely terrified of being humiliated again unaccepted again she came forward terrified and Mark writes and she told him the whole truth she told him the whole truth everything 12 years the humiliation the scorn, the isolation, loneliness, physical, uh, just being physically wasted. She told him the whole truth. And Jesus, Jesus decides that her act needs to be publicly exposed. That her act of touching his cloak, it needs to be publicly exposed, not because she did what was wrong, but because she did what was right. Because she had faith in him. He wants to help her to take her creatures act of faith to another level not just a healing touch but complete wholeness and relationship with him and with her culture and with her people and so her humiliation it's been public knowledge and her healing must be public knowledge as well 
so that she can be fully restored into her community and her public confession and a pronouncement of full healing of Jesus can facilitate a healing that goes far beyond the physical problem because it has spiritual and social dimensions as well. And this reminds me of Psalm 34, verse 18, where David writes, he said, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and to those who are crushed in spirit. Folks, that's, that's our Lord. If that's where you are today, feeling hopeless, feeling crushed in spirit, just know the Lord is near. And can you imagine after 12 years of isolation and alienation and feeling utterly worthless, Jesus responds to her and he says, daughter. We don't understand the weight that that carries. For a man to say to a woman that he doesn't know, daughter. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the word well here, the Greek word is sozo, and it means far more than just physical healing. It means rescuing and preserving and forgiving and delivering and making whole. And R.C. Spruill, a commentator on the book of Mark, writes and says this about her faith. He said, her faith was not the effective cause of her healing. So it was not her faith that caused her healing. He said Jesus was. Her faith was the instrumental cause of her healing. Her faith released Jesus' power to make her whole. And he writes, he says, it's just like justification. We are not made right with God because there is any inherent righteousness in our faith. Faith is called the instrumental cause because it's the tool by which we grab hold of Jesus. And Christ is the effective cause of our salvation. It was Jesus who was the cause of her healing, but he says to her, but your faith released the healing to be able to happen to you. And he says, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And the word peace here, it also carries a lot of weight because the full meaning is very much like the Hebrew word shalom. And Jesus dismisses the woman into a new life, a life of well-being, of right relationships, and peace with God. Go, into the, go in peace signals the beginning of a journey out of hopelessness and into wholeness. And then we get to scene three. It's too late. Jairus gets the report from people at his house. Your daughter is dead. It's too late. Why trouble the master anymore? You know, I want to just ask, you know, what points in our lives have we reached the point of asking ourselves the question, why trouble God anymore? Whether we say it's not important enough, whether we say I've gone too far. Maybe everything bad has already happened. Maybe you're saying, I pray and it gets worse. My cancer isn't going away. My marriage is over. I feel so alone. The pain is unbearable. I've broken my promise to God again. Will he forgive me again? And maybe we have asked that same question, why trouble God again? 
Friends, there's never a time when we stop troubling the Lord because there's never any trouble for him to hear us and to wipe away our tears. We might feel at times like, God, I've asked you so many times, or God, I think I'm too far this time for your forgiveness. I've ruined things. It's never too many or too far for a touch from Jesus. And Jesus turns to Jairus and he says, I'm kind of interjecting this, but he says, I know what they're all saying. He says, but don't give in to your fear. Keep on believing. Keep on believing. Just keep believing. And Jesus said, you came to me when your daughter was on the doorstep. Now she's over it. He said, his words really had the implication of just believe this isn't over yet. I'm not done. I'm not done. And so scene four, we get to the house and they come to the house and the crowd is followed there and the professional mourners were already there and, and in first century Palestine when somebody died it was the law, the, the religious law that you had to hire mourners, professional mourners to help to mourn the loss and, and even the very poorest of people, they still were required to hire at least two flute players and one whaler. So <laughs> And, and the wailing was like wailing. If you've ever been to an, kind of an Eastern funeral, they're loud. And, and Jairus, being a person of means and a person of status, he would have been required to have a large group of mourners. And they were gathered, and they already knew the last breath had been taken, and, and they were there. And, and it says that Jesus approached the crowd, and he silenced the crowd. He said... Be quiet. The child is not dead. She's just sleeping. Now, Jesus knew, just as the mourners did, that physically the little girl was dead. The crowd, though, the crowd who had been wailing, the crowd who has also been joined by the other crowd that followed Jesus, it's amazing how quickly their mourning and their cheering turned to jeering. And they began to make fun of him. And I want you to know that what they demonstrated was just a complete lack of belief in Jesus and who he is. And one of the themes that goes through and carries through all of the book of Mark is that if we have seeing eyes, if we have hearing ears, if we are willing to continue to keep on believing, even though it doesn't seem possible that what's going to happen could happen, if we will continue to be open with hearing ears and seeing eyes, we will see Jesus at work, and we will see the kingdom of God at work right in front of us. And so it says that Jesus took only the closest disciples and the family, and only those few people were going to actually be witnesses of the power of the kingdom and the power of Jesus. And you know what? He walked inside, and he took the little girl's hand. This is the second time in about 15 minutes that Jesus has become ceremonially unclean. And he just, he does this to demonstrate that there is nothing that he won't step into. 
There is no situation that's too dark, too unclean. As, as Brad said uh, last week, with the demoniac, you know, he was an unclean person living in an unclean land amongst unclean people, and yet that was where Jesus chose to go. Jesus will go into the unclean every time. And Jesus spoke, and by the sound of his voice, the sound of Jesus' voice is the same sound of creating the cosmos and bringing everything that was created into being. The sound of Jesus' voice was the same sound that brought Lazarus back from the dead. And by the power of his command, he said, little girl, get up. And she stood up and started walking around. And then he said to them, possibly to just confirm that she really was completely alive, hey, she's hungry. (laughs) Give her something to eat. So where do we go with this this morning? These two experiences. What does our faith do? Well, faith releases. It releases the power. It releases the power over lost causes, the power over loss. It releases Jesus' power of life. It releases the power to confront the unstoppable and change the impossible with a word and with a touch. It releases Jesus to bring the kingdom into our lives. The woman came with a faith of desperation, a last hope, and Jesus touched her, healed her, restored her, replaced her misery and humiliation with peace and love and acceptance and touch. And Jairus came fearing it was too late, finding out that it was too late. But Jesus encouraged him to hold on, he said, because he wasn't finished yet. And with a touch and with a word, Jesus showed him that he had the very power of resurrection. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, the author encourages us, and he's just given us a long list of people who demonstrated incredible faith in the things that they did and the things that they witnessed and the things that happened in their lives. He said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Friends, Jesus invites us into faith in him for everything, even to the point of our feeling that our situation, our illness, our humiliation, our pain, our suffering, our loss is a lost cause. Jesus is willing to touch the experiences the failures, the fears, the hurt, the lies that make us feel like we are too unclean, that we can never be touched again. Folks, the power of Jesus' touch, when we believe Jesus for the unsolvable, he responds with the impossible, with his touch. He responds with his love, with his presence, with his peace his acceptance, his grace, and his healing. And I want to close today by saying, today, wherever you find yourself, he knows what your need is. He knows it already. I don't know if when the woman touched the hem of his garment, whether Jesus was all-knowing in his uh, divine self that he knew exactly who had done it, 
Or if in his humanity there were things that he didn't know, but he knew that somebody had touched him and that an incredible need had been made because of his touch. And I just want to encourage you today, whatever it might be that's got a hold of you, whatever you might be battled with, whatever you might be feeling, it's unsolvable. Jesus is always willing. He will always come. He'll always step in. And so I want to just invite you to step out in faith today and keep believing and experience his touch. And that's my word for you today.